This is a reading from the book of First John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we, we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Hey, it's great to see you. If you're a guest with us, again, thanks for being here. My name is Drew. I'm the pastor of discipleship, and I'm excited for us to jump into this summer series today as we walk through the book of 1 John. You just heard read. As I was thinking about this series and and today's specific passage, it actually took me back to a summer in college. I worked at a bank, believe it or not. I was a teller. Yes, they let me handle money, Um, even at the age of, I think, 20 years old, which is a little bit scary. Um, But I remember this training. We had to do 10 days of training before they would actually allow you to work, to, to take money and exchange money. And I remember that two entire days of this 10-day training were focused on only one thing, and that was identifying counterfeit bills. Because throughout the years, technology had become so advanced, it was getting harder and harder to spot fake bills. They would pass in and out of the bank. And so they drilled this into us, and we spent upwards of 16 hours actually having to be trained on doing this, on, on spotting these fake bills. And, and as I thought about that, I think the same is true, and we know this, inside of the culture that we live and the society that we live in, that there's more and more noise in our lives. There's, and it gets louder every day, trying to lead us in a hundred different directions, trying to give us a hundred different opinions or suggestions. And it can be confusing and it can be exhausting because ultimately we want clarity. 
We want to know what's real, what's not real, what's trustworthy, what isn't, what's honest, what's a scam, what's true, what's a lie. And this is absolutely no different when it comes to our faith. And if you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, know this, you're absolutely welcomed here. And I would encourage you to veer in or to look in as we walk through this passage. As Paul writes ultimately to churches and to believers to challenge them. This is no different when it comes to our faith. It was no different for John and for the people he was originally writing to in the first century. In fact, during this time, false teachers were rising up from inside of the church with new ideas, new ideas about Jesus, new ideas about salvation, new ideas about faith and what faith really meant. And the same is happening today. Questions of absolute truth. Is there absolute truth? Questions of the Bible. Can it really be trusted? How, how should we translate the Bible? Should it be more fluid, especially when it comes to cultural hot topics? Look, every day you and I are fed different ideas about what being a Christian really means. Through media, through friends, through books, through songs, even through preachers and teachers and churches. So here's the question. What does it really mean to know God? And that may sound oversimplified, but it's really not. Above all the noise, above all of the ideas, above all of the internal wrestling, what does it truly mean to know God? And throughout this first section of John's letter, it's this eternally significant and life-changing question that's exactly what he answers. So if you would, pray with me once more, and we'll dive into this passage for the next few minutes. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for this word. Would you speak to us now, wherever we might be? Would you challenge us? Would you encourage us? Would you show us your heart? We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So let's dive in here to John's introduction. This is how he leads off. You just heard it read. Thanks, Heather, for reading. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. It's no mystery here. John's talking about Jesus. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So a little background here, because that's important as we get into this. This book is written by John, the disciple Jesus loved, as he is referred to. Along with uh, Peter and James, John was in the inner circle, really, with Jesus. He had this incredibly close relationship. That's why John's making it clear here at the very beginning, hey, this is a firsthand account of someone who walked with Jesus, who talked with Jesus, who ate with Jesus. Essentially, he's saying, you can trust what I'm about to share about him because I was there with him. Along, uh, along with the gospel of John and Revelation, John penned three letters, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, most likely to churches like those that are mentioned in Revelation. And why did he do this? Well, to instruct, to challenge, to encourage. What I find really interesting about this specific letter in 1 John and, and really in all of his letters, the word gospel never appears. You'll never find that word here. And yet it's hard to find a book in the Bible more intimately connected to the gospel of grace that's found in Jesus. 
Throughout this book and this series, you will see different themes pop up, all centered around the fellowship with God and his people. Walking in the light, practicing righteousness, loving other Christians, being assured of our faith. And as you get into this letter, it's clear that John has three main purposes in writing this. And we get a glimpse of this in these next verses. Check this out. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Here's his three main reasons. To refute false teachings that were flying through the church, people getting confused, people being led astray, led sideways. So that those who claim to know Jesus, that claim to know Christ, might test their faith to ensure that it's genuine, that it's legitimate. And three, so that those who do have a relationship with Jesus would be assured in their faith and not live with uncertainty. And the result is fellowship. You'll notice it's not only with God, but it's with each other. And we'll touch on this in just a minute. But what's clear here at the very beginning of 1 John and throughout the entirety of Scripture is that your faith is not meant to be lived out alone. It's not a solo endeavor. In fact, that's why we're all here in this room together today. That's why we have groups that we connect with. That's why we do life in community to help us stand firm in what's true, to walk in what's true, to bring us back at times to what's true when we forget or when we push against what God has for us. And this really brings us to the big idea today. Here it is. To know the love of God means to walk in the light of Jesus. And we'll see this played out, that in a world of confusion, in a world of lies, in a world of doubt, that easily pour over into our faith, John shows us three ways to live this out. And the first one is honesty. Look at these verses. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. John's trying to make this incredibly clear right at the beginning. And some of this is challenging because he's He's actually trying to care for these people in these churches that might be led astray or might be confused. For some who claim to have a relationship with Jesus that are like, yeah, I know Jesus, then their, their life doesn't match up at all. <laughs> and honesty is required. There's no indication that there's been a heart change in the way that the person lives. This requires an honest look. John's saying that. Hey, if there's, if there's no fruit, if, there's, if, if it points to nothing, if there's no reality of Christ in you, hey, you need to take an honest look. Are you, are you really living in honesty here? If you say that you walk in the light, but you're really walking in darkness, these two don't go together. But for many of us, it's, it's a bit different. Um, I was a student pastor for five years. It was a wild five years, right? Give Cody a hug on the way out. Um, <laughs> Each year, at least twice a year, we would have this gathering, and uh, it would gather more students for this discussion than any other time in the year, and it was the relationship talk. It was a love talk. It was a sex talk that we had with students. I think they all came flooding in because they wanted to see if I was going to make it awkward, right? If I was going to start sweating. And eventually, this question would pop up. How far is too far, right? Pops up. 
I think it's easy for us to start to do the same thing with our faith because we feel the tension from three sides. We have the way we want to live. We have culture telling us to live in a certain way, and then we have God calling us to live in a certain way. And so we can start to even look at each other as a barometer or those around us or Christians in society. Well, as long as I'm not doing what he's doing or what she's doing, I guess I'm fine, right? Well, well let, me, let me look at how they're living or the decisions they're making, and let me just stay on this side of it and, and I'll be good. And what this allows us to do is to justify our actions without conviction. And if you're anything like me, you can justify a lot of things. <laughs> we can justify a lot. Here's what I would encourage us in, though. We have to stop doing this. It's far too easy. Because cultural Christianity in the United States is falling way short of what God is actually calling us to. <laughs> it just is. Cultural Christianity is trying to find the easiest route with the least amount of sacrifice. And it will tell you every single day that you don't need to do this and this and this and that God really doesn't call you to this and this and this when the Bible says something completely different. I love how Jerry Bridges says this in his book, Pursuit of Holiness. God has not called us to be like those around us. He's called us to be like himself. And so John is saying, hey, take an honest look at yourself. And essentially in common language, imagine John saying this to you. He says, don't play games. Don't say that you have this relationship with Jesus if, if you really don't. The stakes are way too high. Maybe you're trying to fool others, but you're really only fooling yourself. Take an honest look at your life, although imperfectly, because God changes the heart before he changes behavior. We're all a work in progress. Are we striving to walk in the light of Jesus from wherever we start, wherever we are, imperfectly as it is, and although we'll mess up, although we'll fall, and although we're still filled with brokenness, are we striving? Is there evidence of this striving to walk in the light of Jesus? Is there clear evidence that he's a part of your life and decisions that you make, the way you treat people, what you do when no one's looking, and the list goes on? And John pushes for honesty in both how we live and also knowing where we stand, that we need to be honest about our flaws, our sin, our brokenness, not putting on a false front or acting like we have it all together. John says to live like this is ultimately to live a lie. So to walk in the light of Jesus means to walk in honesty. But here's the beauty of honesty. And maybe you know this, it's incredibly freeing to come out of the shadows, <laughs> to not have to hide, to not have to put on a false front. Because honesty opens up the door to vulnerability and vulnerability opens up the door to being truly known, something we all desire. That's why this honesty leads to fellowship with one another. This Greek word koinonia, fellowship, it's far more than just connection. It's a deeply rooted relationship with one another marked by our love, our sacrifice, and hospitality toward one another, made, by, made possible and brought together by what we have in common. Jesus. Now we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to skip down to the last section, then we're going to come back to the middle section. The next thing that we see in walking in the light of Jesus that's required is obedience. So look at these verses. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. 
The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this way, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, let's be honest for a minute. There is something inside of us that automatically pushes back. At least it does with me when we hear the word obedience. I know this because I have a three-year-old. So this last uh, week, we were at uh, the grandparents' house for a couple days at Lake Marion. And I'll tell you, this picture is deceiving because Silas looks happy. Um, every time we attempted to take him in the water, every time we attempted to put him on a boat, it was filled with tension, anger, aggression. Why? He didn't want to wear that life jacket. He didn't want to wear his shoes. At one point, he didn't want to wear any clothes at all. And yet, we had to keep telling him, hey, in order to do this, in order to get in the water, you need to follow these rules. In order to get in the water, you need to do this. You have to wear a life jacket. You have to wear your shoes. You have to do this. And you could see immediately there was something he was pushing back against it. I think we do the same thing when we hear obedience. And why do we do this? Well, here's why. And this is another part of our faith where we can start to blur the lines, where we can start to justify our lack of obedience, or we're only obedient when it benefits us or it's convenient. This is why it isn't always easy. This was why it isn't um, easy for Silas, because we often buy into this idea that being obedient means giving something up. He was afraid he was going to lose something, be kept from something. When really, in our relationship with God, being obedient, instead of being seen as a negative, should be seen as a positive, because really it's God wanting to give us something more, not wanting us to settle not wanting us to be at risk, fall into danger. It's so easy to see God's word as a rule book, and it can become tiring just trying to keep those rules. God's word is not a rule book. It's a relational book. God's not in the business of hiring workers that simply follow the rules 24-7. God is in the business of adopting children. He's not doing this out of obligation. He's doing this out of love. I love how Tim Keller nails this. He says, most religion in the world operates on the principles of I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God. The basic operating principle of the gospel is, and check this out, I am accepted by God through the work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I obey. Motivation is everything. See, what we've seen so far is that In order to know the love of God, it means to walk in the light of Jesus through honesty, through obedience. But this means nothing if we don't have this last part. It's by grace. Look at these verses. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that John hits that because it says, hey, none of us are perfect. None of us have it all together. We've all fallen short. This is what I love that we do confession and assurance of pardon every single week because it's a reminder of the honesty of the state that we have been in and where God has brought us and where he's bringing us and that we don't have to stay hidden. And I love that it says this, he is faithful to forgive us uh, and to cleanse us from what? From all unrighteousness. This reminder that there is no sin, there is no brokenness that is too big for the grace of Jesus. It's absolutely true. His grace is far greater. He says, if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. My little children, and I love these words because it's John coming with a father's heart to the people. 
I love you. He's saying, listen to this. My little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, here's the great news. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but also the sin of the world. How is it possible that Jesus is our advocate. This big $5 word we're going to hit this morning, propitiation. What does this mean? This means that Jesus alone is the complete satisfaction of God's wrath against our sin. Here's how you can think of Jesus. He is the big brother that stepped in and he took the beating. He's the big brother that stepped in and has protected us. He's the big brother that stepped in and took everything we deserved. And now when God looks at you, as you sit here this morning and all of your flaws and all of the brokenness, even as we strive toward the light of Christ and we fall short time and time again, when he looks at you, he sees you through the lens of Christ's righteousness. I love how Hebrews 9.24 frames this. It says, For Christ did not enter a man-made copy of a true sanctuary, but he entered heaven itself, now to appear on our behalf in the presence of God. Grace ties all of this together. Grace allows us to live honestly. Grace allows us to pursue obedience. Because without grace, we would walk in the light, feeling shamed and condemned and revert back into darkness always feeling defeated. Without grace, we would only be obedient out of fear, and we would simply try to white-knuckle it through life, crossing our fingers and hoping and praying that our good would somehow outweigh our bad. And here's a spoiler alert. It wouldn't. It doesn't. But here's the great news. Because of the grace of Jesus, the unmerited favor we find in him, we don't need to hide. You don't need to hide. We're now welcomed to come before the throne of God in his love. This is the only way to the love of God through the light of Jesus. It's not through good works. It's not through another God or religion. It's not through serving every once in a while. It's not through putting money in an offering box. It's not through showing up on a Sunday. It's not just through lip service. It's because of Jesus that even though we'll fall short time and time again as we strive to be honest in our faith, as we strive to be obedient, as we strive to walk in the light of Jesus, we are safe because it's Jesus that's walking before us, before God and beside us, supporting us. Because of grace, our desires shift as our hearts shift. And we seek to live obediently because we know that this call to obedience is for our good and bedrocked in the love of God through Jesus. Because of grace, God is no longer judging you by your sin. In Christ, he is now judging you by the work of Jesus. And here's what that work is. It's a finished work. It's a perfect work. It's a work that comes from a willing son, birthed out of love, put to death out of love, risen from the grave out of love, so good, so holy that when the Father looks at you, he doesn't see a sinner. Believe this, he sees a saint. You might say, I'm no saint. Uh, I'm no saint. I've got this in my past. I'm dealing with this. This is a struggle. Sometimes I fall into darkness over here. Sometimes I wrestle with obedience over here. Look, Jesus' grace is that good that when God sees you, <laughs> even though you haven't reached glorification yet, he sees the radiance of his son. 
He sees you as a child of his. He sees you in your sainthood. That's motivation. That in Christ you're clean. And that changes everything. It allows honesty and obedience to take root because love has taken hold. So what do we do with this? This truth that rises above the lies. This truth from John of here's what it means to know God. Here's what it doesn't. I would say three things. Honesty first. To sit and to reflect. What does my relationship with God look like? Is there any aspect in my life that I've sort of been hiding or pressing down or just veering away from or I've made excuses for or I've, I've justified or I know I shouldn't or I've just, I've just sort of gone a little sideways in this area? God invites you to have a conversation with him to say, here's where I am. Here's where I'm struggling. Here's where I'm wrestling. Would you meet me here? Would you draw me back to yourself in this area, in this way, or in all of life? Maybe today's the day for you to meet Jesus. He's welcoming you. He's not, he's not looking to condemn you. He's looking to welcome you into the family. And he says, hey, just come to me. Come to me. Confess your sin. I'm going to give you life and life abundant. Next, surrender. What does it mean just to lay down? <laughs> to lay down the false ideas. To lay down the, uh, your, your life as a whole. To lay down false motivation, false justification. What does it look like to surrender to him? And then lastly, to have a heart of gratitude, to be reminded of the goodness of Jesus that allows us to walk in the light and not remain in darkness, that actually pulled us out of the darkness and into the light by his grace. To know the love of God means to walk in the light of Jesus, in honesty, in obedience, and by his grace alone. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for being a gracious savior. Thank you for challenging us because you love us. And thank you for assuring us because Jesus' sacrifice is that good. God, may we not buy into false ideas of what it means to know you, to not know you. May we not settle for lesser when you have more. May we not try to look for the easiest way, but may we look to your way. For our good, for your glory, Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.